called Relentless Love. We're talking about why God is so good. We're talking about what's so great about our King. We're looking into and exploring the greatness of our God, the message of salvation, the hope that we have in Him. And We've been walking through a number of different pieces. We walked through the book of Jonah and we saw a man who wrestled with the message of God and came around on that and saw people saved and saw a nation moved and saw God working his hand in this world. And and, uh, we were able to celebrate in baptisms and we saw a number of people saved throughout this series and man, God is so good. And all of God's people said, awesome awesome opportunity for us to celebrate the relentless love of our King. And today, we're going to actually learn a little bit more about how to celebrate that He is that God, how to lift Him up. We're in the middle of uh, kind of a a run towards what should feel like spring, and uh, we're getting ready for Easter this next week, and we're walking into the celebration week here of Passover. And this is actually Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. And so we're going to actually take a little bit of time to look back at that passage and talk about the greatness of God and the celebration that He deserves. All right? So turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 1. How should I respond to this Jesus? Matthew 21, starting in verse 1. And, uh, first point. Hear him. Hear him. Like, listen to what he has to say and hear him. All right? Matthew 21 starts out as the story of the triumphal entry. This is Jesus entering Jerusalem that week before he would go to the cross for us. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you. And immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, well, the Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And we'll hold right there. Starts out, now when they drew near to Jerusalem. This is Jesus and his disciples and some others that were following with him. In fact, if you look back into chapters 19 and 20, there's been quite the following and collection that's beginning to come along with Jesus in the midst of his healing, in the midst of his speaking out. They're beginning to get some hope. They're starting to feel this fervor building about who Christ might be. And as he is speaking and blind men are healed, they're in awe. And they're beginning to follow with Jesus Christ with a little bit more hope that he might be the Messiah, the Savior, the solution that the Jewish nation has been looking for. And now when they drew near to Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. So you have to picture they were coming down from Jericho. It's a, a little bit of a walk, not long, but it's, it's a day's walk or maybe even a little more. And, and they had to walk that journey depending on how much they had left that day. And they came into Jerusalem. It's a hilly walk for sure. And they had to walk up and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of exercise that goes into it. And as they're coming to the Mount of Olives, you got to picture the Temple Mount and all that's going on with Jerusalem sits on one little hill. There's a little tiny valley and there's a hill right next to it. That's called the Mount of Olives. And on the back side of that is Bethphage. So they're literally coming right into the community 
of Jerusalem. In fact, this was called the outskirts of Jerusalem. Why? Well, because there was a rule, a law, that uh, on the Sabbath, you could only walk a half mile. Okay, so this city is literally just inside a half mile from Jerusalem. So you could actually get some of the uh, doves or whatever needed to be sacrificed if you were coming in to go to the temple, whatever it was, and then you could travel in on the Sabbath and it would be just the right amount of time. So people would stay at Bethphage or closer to Jerusalem if they were coming in for a special holiday. And so these guys are rolling into Passover. They're coming into the Passover week, getting ready for things. And as they rolled into Jerusalem, they stopped short at Bethphage, just a half mile out, still the outskirts of Jerusalem there on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of the disciples. He said to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. Now, just so you know, in the English, there's a number of imperatives in here. But in fact, in the original language, there's only two. Go and bring. Go and bring. And the rest are ING form. They're kind of supporting. They're telling you some details about it, right? It's go into the village in front of you. Immediately, you will be finding a donkey. That's what it kind of really says in the original language. You will be finding a donkey and a colt with her, and you will untying them, bring them to me. Go and bring. So the command that Jesus says is, I need a donkey and I need a colt. I need you to go get that. Go into the city and untie it. What would you be thinking if somebody said, I need a donkey and a colt? What went through your mind? Sometimes people are like, were they going, why is he asking us to do this? This is ludicrous. And this is a silly request, but okay, fine. And I don't think that's where they were at all. This is a Jewish community and they knew the prophecies at hand about the Messiah. They knew that the Messiah would be walked into Jerusalem on a cult. They knew that. They knew that there was going to be hope and statement of peace to come. And they're watching him get bigger and bigger in the surrounding hillsides of Israel as he's healing people. And he's bringing the word and he's bringing hope. And as he right before this is healing blind men, there's a moment where they're like, this guy's the Messiah, man. And then he's like, Go get the cult. You got to hear that like, it's time, boys. It's time. It's time for the Messiah to be riding into Jerusalem. It's time for peace to be declared. Get the cult. I think that's a lot of where they were. Scripture doesn't tell us if they grasped it after or before, but my guess is there was a lot of euphoria and excitement about this Messiah thing going on, and they saw this as the fulfillment This was it. It was time. It was time to see Jesus taking his rightful place. Now, you got to understand when he was coming in as Messiah, their understanding was, you know, to take over, you know, to fix everything, to become king of kings. You're in charge. It's time. And so they were seeing this as maybe both of Christ's coming in one coming and some of the confusion that comes with that. Jesus said, hey, I want you to go into the village in front of you. Immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Uh, How fast would they find that donkey and colt? Immediately. Like right as they're going into the town, boom. Right? So imagine you're those guys. Go get the colt. 
It's time, boys. Like, all right, it's on. Let's do this. You come into the town. You're like, he says it's going to be immediate. Boom, you hit the edge of the town. There they are. You're like, there they are, man. Just like he said, immediately, right there, that's them. And so they go over and they get the donkey and the colt and they're getting ready to take this donkey and colt and you might be like, isn't that stealing? That's not theirs, man. What's going on with this? And, and so Matthew, as the author, is like, let's make sure we make this really clear. Christ was not telling them to steal, right? And so here's some of the comment. If anyone says anything to you, because, you know, it's theirs, right? If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. Right? But they didn't stop there. The Lord needs them and will send them at once. The Lord needs them and will send them at once. Now, I'm just saying there's a couple of understandings to this. And in fact, if you look at some of the other uh, gospels, you see a little more clarity. It says, and they will send them back at once, right? And so it's like, the Lord needs this, but trust me, it's for a short time. We're going to get this donkey and colt back to you. But also right here, it seems to imply in this one that maybe it's even the Lord needs them and they will release them to you right away. And probably both and. So as they go down to get the donkey and colt, someone's like, hey, what are you doing with my donkey, man? Right? And they're like, the Lord needs them. And in that moment, God moves on that soul. And they're like, they're going to be brought back right away. And he's like, take them. You do what you need to do. If you're going to return them, that's awesome. And so they're going and they're getting a donkey and a colt that had never been ridden. And they're bringing this back to Jesus Christ. Why is this a sign of the Messiah? And, uh, and it's a huge deal that we understand that riding in on a colt is riding in in peace. To bring peace. And that's a big deal. That Jesus is bringing peace. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the hope that is being brought. Jesus is like, I as the Messiah will be walking in and bringing peace. He says, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. Man, may we listen when God gives us a command. May we hear what he has to say and may we go about doing whatever he's calling us to do, right? May we hear well. Listening, it's an art, it's a skill. In fact, over the course of time, I would say we as a community are tending to get worse and worse at listening. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we have this thing called cell phones now. And man, the distraction is monumental with these phones. Did you know this? That in 2007, they said that the number of, really the number of social relational problems, the number of marriage problems has escalated fast because of the cell phone. Literally, this thing that sits in your pocket or your purse where every time it goes off, it maybe even buzzes your Apple Watch if you've got that kind of connect, right? You get this little buzz to your watch, and it's constantly telling you there's something more important than the person you're standing with right now, right? And so as you're standing there, you get this little notification, and you're like, hang on, you're less important now. <laughs> oh, oh, that's so important. That's really true. Okay, okay. Okay, what were you saying? Right? That's become our society. We literally are this fast-paced, moving, non-stop, have to be distracted at all times, can't ever miss for a second what's going on right in front of us. We all understand that that's not the best thing, right? 
Let me ask that with a little bit of verbal back feedback. We all understand that's not the best thing, right? All right. Some of you are like, I don't want to say that. <laughs> then I have to go home and start changing things, right? And be careful with how you use your phone. And so let's just say this. How do I listen well? How do I listen well? I'll just put a few words down here, all right? Number one, undistracted. Undistracted. And if we're going to listen well, we've got to give some focus, right? Undistracted. And whether that means you're managing the cell phone and the buzzing that it gives, or if it means the people that are moving around behind you or the thoughts that you may have in your head where you're running off, undistracted. You're listening to them as you're talking to them. You're hearing what they have to say, undistracted. Good listening will actually focus, okay? Number two, not just undistracted, but you're going to grasp the big idea of what's being shared. Just so you know, there's communicators who love to communicate in the details, and there's communicators who love to communicate in the big idea, okay? And listeners tend to follow in the same suit. There are listeners who listen to the details, and there are listeners who listen to the big idea. Just so you know, we kind of need to be a both and. Grasp the big idea. What are they trying to say here? What's the overarching point? What's the point? That's a good listener, all right? As you're listening to somebody, you're not listening for details that you can jump on, right? That's not true. That's not true. The Cubs won a game. One this week. The Cubs won. One. And all of a sudden, we're collecting the, correcting the little details and the big point. They're having some problems this year, man. They are the big idea. There are a little bit of issues going on this year. But they have won a game or two here and there. And make sure you're hearing the big idea as well as the little idea right? Make sure you're capturing the breadth of it. Uh, undistracted, grasp the big idea. Next one, grasp the details. Don't just grasp the big idea and walk away. There are some details they're sharing across in the midst of it. Make sure you're hearing it, okay? Grasp the details. Next, take time. Be patient. Just know when you're listening, if you're constantly doing the Check your watch, get a little antsy, move around, kind of, let me help you get this along, man. Come on, finish it. Let's go. I got things to do, man. Like if we get into that mode, we're going to stop listening. We're going to miss the big point or we're going to miss the details. We're not going to hear well. And so undistracted, grasping the big idea, grasping the details, taking time. And then here's one that we've been quoting in premarital for quite some time, but man, you got to listen first. Not speak first, right? Listen first. We would say it this way. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. You are going to find that this slight few adjustments in your listening skill set will take your relationships to monumental new levels. Okay? And some of you are sitting here right now and you are like, Amen. And others of you are like, how dare you, right? You know it. You're like, this means I have to face a few changes in my life. Man, take a good hard look at what it is to change my listening skill set. What needs to go in your life? What needs to be adjusted in these five things? And, and what needs to be adjusted so that those around you can feel a sense of respect and love in the listening? Now let's turn it vertical. How does that work with your God? 
undistracted, grasping the big idea, grasping the details, taking some time with him, listening first, seeking first to understand before you're seeking to be understood. Man, I'm telling you, you approach your God like this, he is going to rock your world with what he has to say through his word and in your life. Spend some time on these things and watch God change a huge part of where you're going in your life, all right? Hear him well, okay? So the disciples were given this command. They went after it with all they had. They listened in that midst. They caught the details. They caught the big idea. It says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And this prophet is Zechariah. And this is from Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah 9.9. And it says that this is what it says. Say to the daughter of Zion, this is Jerusalem, speaking to Israel now, the nation of Israel, the Jews, right? Say to the daughter of Zion, to the Jewish people, behold. And when we see the word behold, we say, Right, check it out. Your king is coming. Man, this is a huge moment. The Messiah king is going to be walked in. The king of kings and lord of lords. He is coming. This is Zechariah 9.9. And he's saying this is the fulfillment. Jesus Christ getting on the colt. He says, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt. The foal of a beast of burden. On a colt. Coming in on one that has never been ridden before. The declaration is peace, right? When the Messiah rides in on the cult, the statement is simple. I'm not coming in to dominate and take over. When a warrior, when a general was coming in to declare victory, they would ride in on a giant white horse. Does that sound familiar? On a giant white steed, they would ride in saying, victory. That's right. The war is done and I have won. And I'm in charge. They would ride in on that white steed. Jesus, Messiah, is getting on a colt, a little one, and he's riding in to say, peace. I am not here right now in war. I am here to provide peace. I am offering to you salvation. Jesus as Messiah, coming in on a colt to offer peace. Don't miss it. The Messiah in his first coming is coming on a cult. The Messiah in his second coming is coming, Revelation 19, on a white horse steed. He is declaring, victory is mine. He will take over his king of kings. He will rule for all eternity, Jesus Christ. This is his first coming. And he's riding in humble, servant-oriented, sacrificial, Peace is his word as he's bringing hope for you and for me. Everybody just say peace. That's the message being sent. Jesus Christ, as he asks them to get prepped for the triumphal entry, is saying, hang on, we're going to do some celebrating of the Messiah bringing peace. You know, uh, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt um, he was interviewed one time and he said, one thing I hated about the presidency was being at the White House for all of these people coming through and having to do these lines and lines of people where I'm trying to talk with them. They don't care to talk to me. 
They're having a chance to get close to who they believe is in charge of the nation. They have their own thing. They got their own agenda. And so as I get in these receiving lines, people are coming up. And as I'm trying to talk with them, they're just kind of ignoring what I'm saying and talking right over me. I hate it. And so he said, you know what? I'm going to throw a little monkey wrench into this thing and see how it goes. And uh, so one of these receiving lines, the people started coming through and he would chat with them a little bit. And then he would lean forward and he would talk a little softer and he'd say, you know what? I killed someone this morning. This is a real story. I killed someone this morning. They would say, wonderful, Mr. President. You're such a great leader. I've wanted to see you for a while. I was thinking, here's something I would love to talk to you about at some point, and they would share out. They weren't listening at all. Line after line, people after people, went through the whole thing, got to the, almost the end. It's a true story. The ambassador of Bolivia came in, and he comes up, and he says, hello, Mr. President. He says, hello, how are you? They exchanged some pleasantries real quick. He leans forward, and he says, I killed someone this morning. And the ambassador of Bolivia leaned forward and he said, I'm sure they deserved it, Mr. President. <laughs> and they both smiled and looked at each other and he knew exactly what was going on. He's like, I know none of these people have been listening to you. And I've got nothing to say other than, I'm sorry for the role you have to play right now. I appreciate you. And they moved on and I connected, they smiled about it and they told the story later. Man, do we need to listen to our God. How often do we get into the receiving line so that we can get near Jesus and make sure he knows what we think? Lord, may I hear what you have to say. Undistracted, grasping the big idea, grasping the details, taking a little bit of time, seeking first to understand, then to be understood. Man, as you come to your God in prayer, listen well. And all of God's people said, how are you doing at listening to your master? What needs to change in your listening techniques? May God get all the glory. All right, number two, obey him. Not just hear him, obey him. Obey him. We start out here in verse six. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. I love that. This is super clear. Jesus is like, all right, here's the, here's the deal. Go, bring. Super clear. Two commands. The disciples, it does not say here, and the disciples whined. Well, we've walked a long way. Can we wait a little bit? I'm a little tired. And could we do that tomorrow? Why didn't we think of this ahead of time? There probably was a donkey somewhere along the way we could have picked up. And none of the practical arguments they went and did what he asked. You've got the plan. You're in charge. I hear you, God. Man, all too often we start to get into a suffering moment. And so we believe that because we're suffering, God must be making a mistake. And this is ridiculous. And why is it going this way? And God, you don't know what you're doing. How unfair. And our listening gets poor because our accusing starts rising up. Man, make sure that as we go through our journey, we are hearing well and we are obeying well. Obeying well. You know, John chapter 15, Jesus talked about obedience. It actually occurred just a little bit before this time 
right? Just a, a, not long before this, but a little before this time that they were coming in for the triumphal entry. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. John 15. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Hearing is one thing. Loving and obeying is another. And do you love your Savior? Obey him. As you hear him, obey him. May God get all the glory. It says, they brought the donkey and the colt and put them and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. They brought the donkey and the colt. So if you actually go and you read the other stories in the other gospels, the others talk about a colt. They don't talk about the donkey. And so some look at this and they're like, see, there's actually an inconsistency in scripture. Which is it? And the answer is, well, it's both. When this one passage says he brought a colt and the other says he brought a donkey and a colt, the answer is, well, he brought a donkey and a colt. Neither of them is wrong in what they said, right? And so there's a full and complete story here. He brought the both and. Now notice, it says they put cloaks on them. Everybody say them, right? Both the donkey and the colt got cloaks on them. And so he was going to plan to ride both of them. And so it says, actually, they put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And so he's sitting on the cloaks, which are sitting on the donkey and on the colt. Most likely, this colt probably couldn't handle the full burden of carrying a full-weighted man all the way up the Mount of Olives, and then down the other side, and then up into Jerusalem. That's not a huge, it's not mountainous, but it's a hill. It's a good-sized hill. You can walk down it and up it in, call it five to ten minutes if you're just walking by yourself, but you put that burden on a little animal that hasn't yet carried weight, probably there was an alternating of weight back and forth and times to stop and take in what was going on that we're going to see in just a second. And so the both and is being used it says the cloak was put on the donkey and the colt, and then he got on them, the both of them. It says, most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road. This began to be this time of honoring. Like, you shouldn't even have to ride on the dirt, you're so important. And they began to lay down what they owned, their cloak, their possession, a sacrificial moment to say, we're under you, you're in charge. You go through this moment you are the Messiah. They're all beginning to grasp the potential of what this means. They're all beginning to see that this may be the Messiah. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. How much of the crowd? Most. So there's some that are remaining. It says, and the others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And so now you've got this waving of palm branches and this laying down of palms, this kind of statement of victory, a recognition of a king. Uh, there's this thing going on that is making much of Jesus Christ. There is beginning to be a declaration of him as Messiah, Savior, King. That's what's taking place. And the people were all getting fired up. The crowds were beginning to stir they were getting excited about what was going on. They were laying down cloaks on the animal and on the ground. They were laying down the palms. The buzz is beginning to spread all over the Mount of Olives and down into Jerusalem. Man, did you hear? Jesus is coming in. He's right over here. And people are beginning to rally together. Remember, it's a little less than a half mile for the whole walk up to the top of the Mount of Olives, down to the bottom, up into Jerusalem. Just about a half mile. So not a very far walk. 
And it's very close. And the people and the stir that's going on, you can imagine the busyness on the streets as they're all beginning to respond in like manner. Can you imagine if you're standing there and you see somebody riding on a colt and there's cloaks under them and people are getting excited and others are throwing their cloaks down? What's the first thing you do? What would you do? Like, I, I know for me, I'm not like, well, I got business to do. I'm going to be off. Be like, what's going on? What's happening? And as you begin to ask, the word starts to spread big time. That this one is here. And this one is to be honored and respected. Man, may we obey and honor our God with all we've got. May we love him with all we've got. Simple quote here. Peter T. Forsyth. He wrote, The first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. The first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. And that is a great quote. I'm just telling you, we in America, we live for the opposite. The first duty of every soul is to find our own freedom and make it all about ourselves. That's America. But that's missing it. It's making it all about self and may we live to self. And Peter Forsyth's quote, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. Man, know this. When you find Jesus Christ as your master and Lord, you will be freed from sin. And all of God's people said, when you find Jesus Christ as master and Lord, you will be freed from death. And all of God's people said, man, freedom comes in knowing your master. Our job first is to find our master. Do you know who is in charge of your life? If you're longing for it to be you, you're missing the greatness of Jesus Christ. Man, put your king in charge. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is God almighty. And with him comes freedom. May we place Jesus Christ in charge and watch what he does in our lives. Simply put, are you striving to be your own master? Are you striving to say the way it will be in your own life? Or are you willing for God to be in charge? Are you willing to lay down the sin and let God rule? Are you willing to see that Jesus Christ has all authority and all power and all victory? It's his And so you come to him humbly and you say, Lord, please take over. It is all about you. Man, are you believing that Jesus is risen from the dead? And are you confessing him as Lord, master, in charge, your God? Let him rule, right? Proper response to Jesus, hear him. Proper response to Jesus, obey him. And number three, proper response, worship him. Worship him. Lay it out in a huge way for him to get all the celebration. Notice it says, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting. I'm just going to hold right there. The crowds that went before him and the crowds that went after him. As he's beginning to go up the hill and down the hill of Mount of Olives, as he's progressing along, there are people ahead of him. And you can imagine if you're ahead and the guy's behind you, you start turning around. 
right? And so now you're making much of it. You're like, it's all about you. You're awesome. And you're beginning to walk ahead of them. Just so you know, the streets around there are super tight. There's really just not a lot of room. And when we were over there in Israel, we actually walked what could be one of the roads that he was on here. And as we went through that street in that little area, I mean, it is so tiny. The, it's just kind of pinched together. There's really no way you could have it all around him. And so maybe a few people, probably the disciples right around the colt and donkey managing it. So there were people in front and there were people behind and they're beginning to celebrate. The people in front are getting cloaks and branches laid down and the people behind doing whatever they can do to wave or celebrate. They're making much of Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They're raising up the name of the one who is going to be king. Here's what they didn't grasp. Who was going to die for their sins and rise again. He was getting his rightful worship. And here's the, the cry out that they were shouting. They were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. Everybody say Hosanna. Hosanna. Let's break it down. Hosanna, it means save us, prosper us. That's Hosanna. It's sort of like a prayer, but it's also a praise because you're literally saying, you can do it. It's a praise as well as a prayer. And he's saying, save us, prosper us, each one that's crying this out. Hosanna, you've got this. Hosanna, you're king. And then he says, Hosanna, son of David. Just to be super crystal clear, in other words, you are from the lineage of David. You are the one who rightly can declare kingship. You are the one who gets to be king for all eternity. You get to sit on the throne of David. When they say son of David, they are saying king. That's what's going on. Now just so you know, when you look in the Old Testament at the stories of the Messiah, there's actually some stories of the Messiah as sacrificial one and humble one coming as lamb. And then there's the story of the Messiah as king and lion and ruling forever and, and, and so people wrestle with that, and the Jews have come up with multiple solutions, but the Jewish nation on large has actually come to this conclusion. There must be two messiahs. There's going to be the messiah who's more like the suffering one, and then there's going to be the messiah who's more the king one. And this messiah who's the suffering one, we'll call him something different, and so they call him Messiah, son of Joseph, Mashiach ben Yosef. He's like, that's the suffering one. That, we'll try to understand this. Isaiah 53 and some of the other things, like that must be a guy who's going to suffer, but there's a different guy. And that guy comes in to rule and to reign, and that's, that's the Messiah, son of David. And, and Messiah, Ben David, right? And so as they start to cry this out, they're like, you are going to rock the place. You're going to be in charge. You're going to rule for all eternity. You're going to be the king of kings. You are the son of David. They're beginning to recognize in this moment that this one is king. And they are expecting the next moment to overturn everything. He takes over. The Jewish nation gets to rule forever. This one's on the throne. Maybe that's where we're headed with this one. Meshuach ben David. And so they begin to cry out, Hosanna, son of David. You hear the recognition of the kingship and the hope of his rule. 
And he says, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Like you are our hope from God Almighty. We are trusting in our God and we're longing for you to be the solution. You are our hope. Hosanna in the highest. Remember Hosanna, it's like a prayer and a praise all at once. Save us, prosper us. You're able to do this. Save us. Prosperous, you're able to do this. That's what they were crying out over and over and over. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. You can do this. Our hope is in you. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? Isn't that amazing? Like Jesus was rocking the place. He was stirring lives. People were hearing, but the broad base of Jerusalem still hadn't gotten the big word. Jesus hadn't done a lot within the Jerusalem context. He did a lot within the outskirts and on the hillsides and in other places. And so these people were wrestling with who he is. They're trying to figure out what's going on. They were trying to grasp the concept of what was taking place. So let's just do this. Let's make sure we grasp the concept right? Remember back in the fall when we walked through the feasts and we walked through the seven different feasts and how all of them pointed to the Messiah, right? Each of the feasts was about the Messiah. You remember the first three, they all came together back to back to back. It was the feast of Passover, the feast of unleavened bread, and then the feast of first fruits. It was his death, his burial, and his resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? That's the celebration statement that we have hope in the Messiah, And we looked back through that. If you weren't with us back then, man, go back, take a look at that sermon series. There's a lot that we went through in it and so much detail on it. But I'll just say this, those first three feasts, they're all coming up this weekend. And Palm Sunday was a looking forward to what was coming in those three feasts. And so just so we're clear, remember the feast of Passover, that was on that Friday. And that was the Nisan. Remember the first month is called Nisan. Nisan 14. And the Four days, four and a half days before it was the selection of the lamb that would be used as the Passover lamb then. There's a choosing of the lamb on the 10th and the sacrificing of the lamb on the 14th. As Jesus is coming in on Palm Sunday the 9th and he's coming into the end of that Sunday, at 6 o'clock it turns over to the 10th and as he's coming into town the people are crying out, Hosanna to the son of David! Hosanna in the highest. They are beginning to choose their lamb. We got to grasp it, man. This is the moment. Palm Sunday is the moment they are choosing the Savior out as the Lamb of God, their hope. And they are crying out, this is our King. This is our hope. You can do this. That was on the 10th. And as everything gets locked in on the 10th, it is amazing to watch what Christ does through those four days. But he comes to the back end where he is brutally mistreated. And he goes to the cross on that Friday, the 14th. And he ends up going through the day on the cross. And in the afternoon, right before twilight, he breathes his last. Remember, the Passover lamb from way back 1,400 years earlier was to be sacrificed at twilight on the 14th of the first month 
absolutely locked down. Jesus Christ is the solution. He is our Lamb of God. Everybody say, He is our Lamb of God. He is, man. And as we celebrate the Passover, as we grasp what's going on, get this. This is the choosing of the Lamb, the triumphal entry. And four days later will be the sacrifice of our Lamb of God for us. Him for me as he goes to the cross. Jesus Christ, he is the Messiah. He is the hope. He is our everything. May we lean on him. And all of God's people said, now get this. In his first coming, he comes on the colt to be the sacrificial lamb for you and for me paying what we could never pay, that our sin might be covered. Praise be to God. But man, that's the Mount of Olives. He comes into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives at this triumphal entry to be the Passover lamb. When he leaves to ascend to heaven, he ascends from the Mount of Olives. And it says he will return in like manner. And when you get to Revelation 19, it says Jesus Christ will come on a white horse. No more cult, man. He is coming in on a white horse to dominate with victory and declare as his foot touches down on the Mount of Olives. Zechariah 14, and a massive earthquake takes place and Christ says the word and it's done. And he is King of kings and Lord of lords. There are not two messiahs. There is one Messiah, and he comes twice. He is our hope. Amen, man. That is our hope. Jesus Christ in the first coming, he is humble, sacrificial, on a colt, bringing peace for you and for me. And Jesus Christ coming again will be King of kings and Lord of lords for all eternity. That is our God. And all of God's people said, amen, Amen, man. It says here, and the crowd said, who is this? Well, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. (laughs) You know, it's not really clear what's going on. At the minimum, they don't get it. They're They're like, well, we're thinking Messiah. But if we declare it, we might be out of line. So we're saying for sure, prophet Jesus from Nazareth, you probably don't know him because he's from up in Galilee. It's quite a little walk, you know? And that's who this guy is. But man, I'm telling you, you might want to show this guy some respect as they cry out, Hosanna, right? You're seeing the contradiction in this crowd. And man, will you see it by the end of the week as they just cry, crucify him. They're barely grasping the greatness of Jesus Christ. What does the lamb chosen do? Well, let's just glance at two things real quickly just to close it here. Look at starting in uh, verse 12. Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats and those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. He's like, that's it, I'm cleaning house. Remember, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which starts Saturday, right? Feast of Passover is Christ's death. Feast of Unleavened Bread, his burial. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is about no leaven in the house. And so all week long, they're cleaning leaven out of the house. And so the first thing Jesus does is go clean the leaven out of the house. He's getting ready for the feast of unleavened bread to be celebrated. 
Man, I'm telling you, our Savior had a plan. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. May we worship him. Grasp it. We have a God who deserves to be worshiped. And so we have one job to do this morning as we're getting ready to come into Easter. And that job is to cry out Hosanna with all we've got. So your job with all you've got, as loud as you've got it, is to say Hosanna in the highest. And I'm going to say some phrases, and after each time I say it, you're going to say Hosanna in the highest, all right? Remember, Hosanna means save us and prosper us. That's what we're crying out when we say that, all right? So you've got one phrase to say, Hosanna in the highest. Let's say it together. Ready? Hosanna in the highest. Louder and bigger. Here we go. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the Messiah, Savior. He is the Son of David. But more, He is the Son of God. He is our hope. Hosanna in the highest. May Jesus Christ get all the glory. It is in this moment that he was chosen as our sacrificial lamb. Save us, God, and prosper us. And man, Good Friday, we are going to take a time of just remembering his sacrifice for us on the cross as the Passover lamb went from us, him for me. And then unleash it on Sunday, he is risen at the Feast of First Fruits. Praise be to God. And all of God's people said, hear him, obey him, worship him. Let's pray. 